All right, you may be seated. Good morning. What an absolutely beautiful day in the Lord. Amen. Our God is good to us in so many ways. Uh, go ahead and take your copy of God's Word and turn to Mark chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 20 this morning. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. We're going to continue the series of the gospel of the servant Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the message today is entitled, Who is Jesus Christ to you? Who is Jesus Christ to you? So let's go ahead and read our passage, Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 20. Then he went home. And the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man and what, whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother let's pray together father we are humbled to be before you again this morning as the sunshine begins to to come up and over us god we are reminded that you are the great creator you are the creator of the heavens and the earth and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather outside this morning reminding us, God, of your power and your beautiful creation. And even as bright as the sun is this morning, it is in no comparison, God, to your holiness and your brightness. And Father, as we think about the air this morning and the coolness and the refreshing 
God, it's a reminder. You refresh us. You sustain us. You give us air to breathe. We couldn't even take our next breath, God, apart from you. We are needy people. And then, Father, we thank you for the scripture reading this morning that Jimbo read of reminding us that every word of God proves true. Your word, God, is truth. And, Father, I pray that you would help me to preach and teach your word today. We surely don't want to add to it, and we surely don't want to take away from it. Your word, God, will accomplish what you set it out to accomplish, and that's what we pray that you would be glorified and you would use your word this morning in a powerful way in the hearts and lives of your people. And so we ask that in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Who is Jesus Christ to you? I want to start this morning from a quote from C.S. Lewis that many of you have probably heard before regarding this question. And he, go, he says here, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. And here's what people often say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. Now that is one thing we must not say, C.S. Lewis continues. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, and you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him simply being a great human teacher. He has not left us open. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. The key truth that I want you to see this morning from the text is Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's fully God, and he is fully man. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And to reject Jesus Christ and who he says he is will be the damnation of your own soul this morning. So let's look at the text together. Verses 20 and 21, we'll start there. The first truth this morning is Jesus' family and friends, those that were closest to him, label him as crazy, as lunatic. I want you to think about that. His own family, those that were the closest to him, labeled him as crazy. Look at verse 20. He went home, and the home there is probably there at the house of Peter, because Jesus didn't have... You know, in his adult life, his own house that he went to. But many times he was there at Peter's house. So he went home. The crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. So let's remember in way of review in Mark chapter 3. Jesus healed the man with the withered hand there in the synagogue on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, the religious leaders were very upset with him. 
Then he goes out by the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He continues to heal many. The crowds are gathering to the point where he thought he was going to be crushed. Then he takes time to get away and he prays and he calls the apostles, those that were going to represent him and his kingdom. And now, right after that, he's there at Peter's house. Maybe there was going to be a break in the action, but no, they couldn't even eat as the crowds continued to gather. And then in verse 21, look at what it says. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Think about that. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God, and his family is like, we've got to go get him because he is crazy. That's a very profound thing that is said there in the scripture. Even those that were closest to Jesus as far as physically speaking, didn't always have his identity right. So here's the application for us this morning. As much as we love our own families, our physical families, and we should, that doesn't mean that our own families always have the right understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Even his own family, even his own friends didn't understand his identity rightly. Now, the second truth this morning, when we look at the identity of Jesus, not only was he labeled as a lunatic, as a crazy man, as he was out of his mind by his own family, in verse 22, we're going to see that the scribes of the Old Testament there labeled Jesus as the prince of demons. So he's first labeled as a crazy man, and then secondly, he gets labeled as the prince of demons. Look at verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, because they wanted to come check out Jesus, he was becoming so popular, were saying he is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. Now, first of all, that word, the scribes, these are these Jewish religious leaders that they copied the word of God. They interpreted the word of God. They studied the law of God. And so they, they had a heart for God's word, but unfortunately, Remember from our scripture reading how we can't add or take away from the word of God? Well, you know what they begin to do? They begin to add and take away from the word of God. These Jewish religious leaders. And sadly, as they begin to hear about Jesus and as they see the things that Jesus was doing, they get to the point, instead of embracing him as their Lord, as their Savior, as their Messiah... They call him Beelzebub. Now that term was not a very nice, enduring term. It was the term used for an old Canaanite god. It was a term known as the Lord of the Flies, or something rotten or repulsive. 
They're basically saying that Jesus Christ is the Lord of filth. It could also mean the bell, the prince, or an arch ruler of a dynasty of demons. This was a very derogatory term that these so-called religious leaders were professing Jesus to be. So not only did Jesus' immediate family come against him, but the religious community at that time didn't care much for Jesus either. I want you to think about this. Okay, let's not just read over it. Jesus is being called a crazy man, and Jesus is being called basically Satan, a demon, the leader of the demons, the one who was healing people, the one that was casting out demons, the one that was preaching and teaching in the authority of God. This was the accusations that were being made against him. So what does Jesus do? We'll look at verses 23 through 27. Jesus begins to correct their foolishness. So the third truth this morning is Jesus corrects their foolishness. Look at verse 23. And he called them to him, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan. So he calls these scribes, these religious leaders, to himself, and he begins to teach them through parables, which are simply short stories with spiritual truth. And Jesus, as many times he would do, you know what he, he did? He asked them a good question. So when you're having conversations with people about the gospel, about the Bible, sometimes it's really helpful to just simply ask a good question. And Jesus does that here. He asked them, how can Satan cast out Satan? Then he goes on in verse 24. He explains further. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. I mean, think about that. If you got a kingdom and you got a nation, and they're like, hey, we're going to go take out this other nation over here. But first, we're going to kill one another, and then we'll go take out that other nation you'd be like, uh, that's kind of weird. That strategy is not going to work very well. By the way, that pretty much describes the United States of America right now, right? Not too united as all the imploding that is happening from within. But that's not really what the text is about. But he's making the point that if a kingdom or nation is fighting against themselves, how could they then come against another kingdom? Verse 25, Jesus explains himself further. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. You know, I thought about this in sports terms. I've coached a lot of basketball teams, and I can tell you this. When the players begin fighting one another, well, you didn't give me the ball. It's all your fault. And you begin to hear all this backbiting and this inward fighting. Guess what ends up happening on the court? It's not pretty. Because you're fighting against one another. By the way, as a local church, right? If we start backbiting and we're gossiping and we're complaining and we're whining against one another, are we going to be fulfilling the Great Commission? No. Because we're focused on the wrong things. We're sinning against God and we're sinning against one another. And so we should always be praying for our local church 
that we would stay united about what is most important, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about the gospel going out to the ends of the earth. Are there going to be problems and conflict? Absolutely. We're sinners, but we're sinners saved by grace. We've been changed through the power of the gospel, and we have the capacity, we have the ability through God's word and through the truth of uh, of who God is and His Spirit to work out any situations that we may face. He goes on in verse 26. He explains himself some more. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. I mean, if Satan is fighting against his own kingdom of darkness... That strategy is not going to work for him. Jesus is saying, logically, think about this from common sense. What you are saying about me is simply foolishness. Look at verse 27. He then gives them something else to think about. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. So I have to admit, as I was preparing, Billy, I thought about you and I thought about your brother Mark, because you guys are a lot bigger than I am. What kind of sense would it make, not that I would ever do this because I got more sense than this, if I was going to go into Billy's house or I was going to go into Mark's house and try to steal their stuff while they're there? Let me tell you, they would squash me like a little pea, okay? It would not be any kind of battle. And if I was going to try to tie them up in that case, I'd have to say, hey, Billy, can you kind of help me tie you up, and, and then I'm going to go ahead and steal your stuff, okay? Jesus is like, this is illogical. This is foolishness of Satan being the strong man that he's not going to be bound. He's not going to be tied up. But I got good news for you this morning. This is exactly what Jesus Christ has done to Satan. Satan is a defeated enemy. His power does not come anywhere close to matching the power of God. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. And I want you to see where the victory has been won over Satan. I mean, Jesus was already in the Gospels casting out demons, showing his power over Satan and demonic forces. But look at Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 13 through 15. This is a, a passage about the cross. And I want you to think about one of the realities, one of the things that happens at the cross as we begin to get ready for Easter of celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. In Colossians 2, verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then check out what verse 15 says. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen. Hallelujah. 
Praise the Lord. He bound Satan. Okay, he defeated Satan. Go to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. If you want to see the final outcome of Satan, Jesus and Satan are not on the same team. Jesus Christ is the victor. Satan has been defeated, and you're going to see in this passage where he will spend his eternity. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into where? The lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's our Lord. That's our God. That's our Savior. And His name is Jesus Christ. Sadly, these religious leaders had it all wrong. Now, let's go to our fourth truth this morning. Go back to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at verses 28 through 30. 28 through 30. The truth in this passage is our God is a forgiving God. Amen to that. But blaspheming the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So let's see if we can unpack. This has been a difficult passage throughout the ages. But let's see if we can unpack it rightly this morning. Verse 28. Truly I say to you, so Jesus is talking here, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. Now, the first thing I want you to see this morning, our God is a forgiving God. When you think about your heart and you think about your life and you think about all the ways that we've sinned against a holy God, that we could be forgiven in Christ, that He took the sin debt, He took our place on the cross, that we could be set free, that we could be forgiven, that we could have eternal life, that should cause you to shout on the inside. It should cause you to shout on the outside that we are forgiven of all our sin in Christ. Let's talk about this word blasphemy. That word blasphemy means to slander or to defame God. It means to speak evil against God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 13 through 15. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. But the Apostle Paul, here's what he had to say about himself. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, he spoke slander against God, lies, evil. He recognized this about himself. I was a persecutor. I was insolent or prideful, an opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, and the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Please hear me say this morning that Jesus Christ saves sinners. As Jimbo prayed this morning, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be set free today. You can be forgiven. You can have a new heart. You can have a new life. 
You can have eternal life if you'll simply admit that you are a sinner, confess and agree with God about that, repent of your sin, and look to Christ. Put your faith and trust in Him. Now, look at verse 29. Jesus goes on to say, Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Now, we got to unpack this difficult passage. There is a sin that never has forgiveness, because that's what the text says. And that sin is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to start with what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is not. Okay, It's not taking the Lord's name in vain. Now, we should not do that, because that breaks one of God's commandments, and that is sin against God, but that is not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It is not simply unbelief in Jesus. Which, granted, if you don't believe in Christ, you will spend eternity in hell. It is not simply rejecting Jesus, even though that would be sinful as well. Let's think about the context. What are the religious leaders accusing Jesus of? Look at verse 30, and the passage answers it for us. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. They are accusing Jesus of having the spirit of Satan. An unclean spirit. A demonic spirit. So basically, guys, these religious leaders are attributing the work of Jesus that was being done in the power of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, they are saying it's being done in the power of Satan. Their hard-hearted denial of the work of the Holy Spirit in and through Christ was leading to this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. The Jewish religious leaders had seen clear demonstrations of the amazing power of the Holy Spirit at work through Jesus Christ to bring life and health to many people. Instead of embracing this truth, they willfully rejected Jesus' authority and his teaching and instead attributed it to the devil. Jesus is indicating here this sin will never be forgiven. These are my words. They basically looked Jesus in the eye and said to him, You are the devil. What you are doing is the work of the devil. That's what they were doing. I want you to think about that. To look Jesus right in the eye and saying, You are the devil. That's what these hard-hearted religious leaders were doing. That is a sad, sad, sad reality. Wayne Grudem comments about this passage. Jesus is not simply talking about simple unbelief or rejection of Christ. But instead, it's the hard heart of one who does this. 
They have a clear understanding of Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit working through Him, which all these religious leaders had seen. They had seen over and over what Jesus was doing, and yet they maliciously rejected Him. It was a willful rejection of the facts about Jesus right before their eyes. It was slanderously attributing the work of the Holy Spirit in Christ to the power of Satan. That's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Why is this so important that Jesus points this out? Because he says there is no forgiveness. These religious leaders had Jesus Christ right before them. And they were guilty of this eternal sin, eternal damnation. The mercy of God was being offered to them right in their presence. And they were permanently rejecting it and ridiculing Jesus that he was simply of the devil, of Satan. That's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Now, if you're concerned this morning that you have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that probably means you haven't committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because your heart is soft before the Lord. Let's go to our fifth truth this morning, verses 31 through 35. And really, guys, I think for, for us this morning, this is an even more important question than have you blasphemed the Holy Spirit this is the question that stands before you in verses 31 through 35, our last truth. Are you in the family of God? Are you in the family of God? Look at verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him, and they called him. Jesus' mother and his brothers come up on the scene again, and they're Sending for Jesus. Remember back in verse 21, his own family, what had they said about Jesus? He's crazy. He's out of his mind. By the way, we do need to understand Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was a sinner, just like us. Just because God chose her to be the mother of Jesus, that doesn't mean, guys, she was sinless. That's a lie. The Bible doesn't teach that. She was a sinful woman, and in this case, guys, she's in the wrong. She's calling out her, her son. She's calling out Jesus. She's wrong. His brothers, they're wrong in what's going on in this passage. Verse 32, And a crowd was sitting around them, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. I mean, this is his family, his physical family. are like, hey, Jesus, your family is out there. And it's not that Jesus doesn't love and care for his physical family. But Jesus understands there's a family that's much more important than our physical family, right? Look at what he says in verse 33. He answers them, well, who are my mother and my brothers? So he, again, he's using a question you need to really think about. Well, who is your mother? Who are your brothers? Who are your sisters? Look at what he says in verse 34. And looking about at those who sat around him, he says, Here are my mother 
and my brothers. He looks at the, the people that had gathered around him. The disciples would have been there. These followers of Jesus. These that were learning at his feet. And what does he say? He says, these are my family. This is my spiritual family. I want you to look around this morning. This is your brothers. These are your sisters in Christ for all of us that are in the faith. Doesn't mean our physical families are not important. But this is your eternal family. Bought by the precious blood of Jesus. It doesn't get any more special, any more sweet than that. Brother Bill, you are my brother. It's good news. We're going to share eternity together, brother. Whenever God calls you home, whenever God calls me home, you are my brother. Miss Yvonne, you are my sister in the Lord. Aren't we thankful that God and His kindness and His providence, He brought me down to Okeechobee in 2007, and you guys were one of the first families that my family met. And God and His kindness, He's knit our hearts together in Christ. And I could say the same going around and we could all say the same. And we should rejoice. And we should fellowship. And we should be praising God for our family. And then look at verse 35. Jesus defines his family even more directly. He says, Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's go to John chapter 1, 11 through 13. And as you read this, or as we read this passage, I want you to think about, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you a part of the family of God? John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. John 1, 11 says this, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So sad. He goes to the Jews and they don't receive him, their Messiah that was right before them. But then look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus in his grace gives us the right to become a child of God, to be a part of his family. How does that happen? Verse 13. Who were born... Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. So this isn't about physical family. But how are they born? Born of God. You see this morning, you must be born again. The word of God, the gospel, the spirit of God, bringing your dead heart to life in Christ. You repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ. Receiving him as your Lord and Savior. And when that happens... You become a part of the family of God. We are children of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus says in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 2, 3 says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Evidence of being in the family of God is you love God you love his word, you love his people, and by his grace, through the spirit of God, 
you trust and you obey. Yes, we are still sinners, but we're sinners that are being sanctified, being cleansed, being set apart by the gospel, by the work of God. Who do you say that Jesus is this morning? Would you be like his family and say that Jesus was kind of crazy and a lunatic? Or maybe like the religious leaders, Jesus was a devil. Or, you know, I had my kids at OCA do an assignment recently where they simply had to go out into the community and they had to ask people, who is Jesus Christ? Just curious to see what people would say here in Okeechobee County. Here's some of the answers that they got. Now, some, some of the answers, that he, he was the Lord God, he's the Son of God, he's the Savior. But here's some of the other answers right here in our own community. He's just a nice guy. He sounds cool, but I'm an atheist, so I don't believe in him. Jesus is not real, so I don't believe in him. Jesus was simply an influential, influential historical figure. That's not Jesus, guys. And if you believe that Jesus was simply a nice guy and a moral teacher, he taught good things that maybe we should follow to have a better world, you're going to stand before a holy God and you're going to hear him say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Jesus Christ is the Lord God Almighty. And he's the only one that can save you this morning. John 14, 6 is true, guys. Jesus said he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. Jesus said that, not me. And what Jimbo read this morning, every word of God proves true. So you can wrestle with either Jesus is crazy, he was a liar, he was demon-possessed, or Jesus Christ is who he said he was. And I hope and pray that this morning, if you haven't, you would receive him as your Lord and as your Savior. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and that by your grace, for many of us here, we're able to understand, Jesus, who you are. It surely wasn't because of our own intellect, our own education, our own abilities. God, it was by your grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for your word, that your word changes hearts. We are thankful for the work of your spirit. Not only was your spirit at work in the first century of Jesus healing and casting out demons and him preaching with teaching, but God, your spirit is still alive and at work today. And we praise you and we thank you for the gift of salvation. And Father, I pray that for us as believers, we would take the truth of your word that we've heard this morning. We would apply it to our own hearts and we would share your truth with someone this week. And then, Father, I do pray if there's someone here that they've been wrestling, God, you've been stirring their heart, you're drawing them, you're convicting them, that today would be the day they would say, yes, God, I believe, I understand, I know, Christ, that you are the Lord, Master, Savior, and I'm coming to you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me the person you want me to be. 
And may I follow you all my days. I pray that that would be the cry of a sinner's heart this morning, God. Do that work in the hearts of the people that are before me this morning. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Let's all stand and we'll worship the Lord through song. We're going to sing uh, this last song together. It's called the Gospel Song, and we'll sing it two times through. <laughs> 